We start a new series today entitled Live Generously. Live Generously. And sometimes um, in the church, there can be a little bit of a bad taste about money and preachers talking about it from the pulpit. And um, so I just want to start by telling you that this is a series we're going to do for the whole month. We're going to be talking about money for the whole month. And we um, also recognize that since sometimes people get uneasy about the church talking about money, I want you to understand the heart of why we're doing this and the heart of generosity. Uh, we jokingly said, should we just title this message, Pastor Russ Just Wants Your Money? You know, and I mean, because sometimes that's how it feels. You show up and you're like, oh, look, a pastor talking about money. Go figure, you know. And um, so please don't, don't feel that way or hear that. Um, it's important to recognize that what I want to do is just look at the scriptures and show you what the scriptures say about finances and about generosity. Jesus talked about finances a lot. He didn't avoid that subject. He knew that money was going to be a part of people's lives, and it's important to know how should I use this resource that God has given me. And so if we don't talk about it at the church, where are you going to learn how to use your resources biblically? You know, so it's important for us to address this. And I felt led, like this is a series that I think we're going to sit on for the month of January, and we're going to walk through several different principles that I see in Scripture that I want to present to you. Okay, the first one we're going to talk about today is the principle of sowing and reaping. And Maybe you've heard that before, and when I say that, Right out the gate, you think, well, this is like a prosperity message. You know, we give so that we can get. And that's, again, not the heart behind this message. But there is a biblical principle. The more you sow, the more you're going to reap. But to recognize that those blessings aren't necessarily going to be material. Does that make sense? Okay, another principle we'll cover, and this will be next week, is a principle of multiplication recognizing that God has given us all resources and he's given us abilities and talents and, and how are we using those for the kingdom, seeing those multiplied in our life. And then I'll also be talking about the principle of the tithe and what the difference is between a tithe and a free will offering. These are some things that are going to take place within this series called uh, Live Generously. Okay, I just want to present to you what's in the scriptures, and I want to encourage you this. There's a group of believers mentioned in scripture called the Bereans, and they're commended because when the apostles spoke to the Bereans, they went back, searched the scriptures to find out if what was really being taught is accurate and true. My encouragement to you is to be like the Bereans. I'll tell you what I see in scripture but you guys need to go home and get out the word and go, God, what are you saying to me about this? And dig through that yourself, okay? Don't just take my word from what I'm seeing in Scripture, but go to the word yourself and walk through those things. Be like the Bereans, okay? And speaking of the Bereans, before we read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I do need to sort of set us up so you know what's going on in this passage, Okay, I want you to pretend behind me is a group of believers back in a city called Jerusalem. You ever heard of that city before? 
Okay, back here, Jerusalem, there's believers back here, and they're in need, and so we're going to take up an offering for these believers, okay? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this book of 2 Corinthians, is writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. So just for the sake of the illustration, and we have an understanding of where Paul's coming from, this section right over here today, you guys are Corinthians. Let's hear it, Corinthians. Wow, that was, wow, they're not even here today, okay? And then this whole group here, there's three sections of pews. This whole group here, you're the Macedonians. Okay, wait a second, okay? All right, the Macedonians is a region, and there's several churches that would be in this region. One church would be the church in Philippi. You're known as the Philippians. How many of you ever heard of that book in Scripture before? This group over here, you guys are in the city of Thessalonica, and you'd be known as Thessalonians. And there's two books that Paul wrote to you. And then over here we have the Bereans. Now, there's not a book written to you, but we do have Scripture that's written about you. You're the group that, that heard what was said. You went back and you searched the Scriptures to see if it was true. So these three, Macedonians, this group over here, Corinthians, okay? I feel like we should just have this illustration because I think it'll bring this text a little bit more to life, okay? Something you need to know about the Macedonians, though. You guys are all like, yeah, we're Macedonians. We're big. We're sin-. You guys... You're going through a pretty deep, deep season of poverty right now, okay? You're going through great affliction, trials, struggles, but one thing that's, that is happening is in the midst of your struggle, even financially, you're a generous group of people. Awesome, awesome. Now, here's the thing. Paul goes to the Corinthians and he says, there's some believers back in Jerusalem that are in need and we're gonna take up an offering for them, okay, Corinthians? We're gonna do that. And you guys are like, yes, let's do it. They're in need, let's make it happen. And Paul's like, I'll be back in a year, okay? Start working that up and when I come back, we'll collect that, but your eagerness is awesome. Now, Paul comes over in the year span and he's speaking to these different churches, and he says, I want you guys to know, those Corinthians, they were like pumped up about this offering, and you guys are like, that's exciting, let's give, and you guys gave to the believers in Jerusalem, okay? And a year goes by, and I come back with a letter to the Corinthians, and I go, guys, it's time, all right? Be prepared, that year is coming, And one thing you need to know is that I told all these guys about how eager you were to give, and now the moment's about to happen. And I want to tell you, when I told them that you were eager to give, they blew me away on how much they gave. And so I just want to tell you that to encourage you and stir you up and to let you know that God is up to something here, and it's really neat, and we're going to have a great gift to give to the believers in need that are in Jerusalem. So that's a little bit of a context to this passage. There's one more thing I want us to understand before we read. The ministry of generosity, it's also called the gift. It's also mentioned that it's of God. All centers around this word grace. This is a work of God 
not you. So Macedonia, God moved amongst you and you gave. And so the Corinthian believers, God's going to work his grace amongst you and I believe God is going to do some amazing things in and through you. Recognizing though that giving is a ministry of grace. Don't ever forget that. Because sometimes when we give, we can do it with some selfishness. Like, look what I did. That made me feel good, you know? But here's the thing. Grace is something that God does in your life, and then out of the outflow of that grace comes a heart that gives. It's not about you, by the way. God's grace is at work, and that's a huge part of generosity. Something to know is that biblical generosity does not come naturally. It comes supernaturally. How many of you know it can be hard to not be selfish? We are just, we're all about us. That's the culture we live in. And generosity is right in the face of selfishness and says, get over self. Make room for generosity. And for us, that's not going to come naturally. And here's the thing. When Christ is in your life and he's changed your heart, one of the outflows of your heart is generosity. It's something that God is doing in your life. And it's supernatural. Max Lucado says, where grace happens, generosity happens. So we're establishing a little bit of the groundwork here before we read the passage. Okay, There's an offering to be taken up for Jerusalem, and we recognize that giving is a ministry of grace that's done by God. Are we all clear on that? So before we read the text, let's pray together. All right, so let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray as we dig into the scriptures, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, speak into our lives through the power and the anointing of your word. This topic of generosity, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive what it is that you want to say to us today. And help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers. And so as we hear from your word, I pray that your spirit would lead us to a place of response and action. And we just ask for your spirit to guide us and lead us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Into the scripture. Paul says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to the Corinthians. Okay, He wants you to know what God in his kindness or in his grace has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles or great trials, and they are very poor or they're experiencing deep poverty, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. And notice it's not just they're overflowing with generosity, but rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will, 
And they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift or the grace for the believers in Jerusalem. The Macedonians knew there was something special about giving, participating in the grace of God. And you can see that as they begged again and again, can we do this, can we do this? They know there's something supernatural in the act of giving. Verse 5, they even did more than what we had hoped. And the scriptures say, for they first gave themselves to the Lord. So let's just stop for a second. Step one in regards to generosity, I just asked this question. Does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? Because that's step one. Because out of the outflow of a heart that has Christ in it, there's going to be generosity. There's going to be generosity. He is the source of generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is his heartbeat. He's a giver. And if he's in you, guess what? You're going to be a giver too. Generous giving to the king and his kingdom comes after personal dedication to the king and his kingdom. God having your heart comes first when it comes to generosity. Let's pick this back up in verse 6. So, we have urged Titus, Titus is a co-worker with Paul, he says, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. New King James Version says, see that you abound in this grace. Verse 8, Paul says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness or the diligence of other churches. And then he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And I love how that verse starts out by saying, and you know this. You know this. He's speaking to believers. These are people who know Christ and they know his love and he lives in them. So he's saying, you know how generous God's been to you. That in his grace, he redeemed you from sin. And in verse 10, he says, here's my advice. He says, it would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. And now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. And whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. 
Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need, and later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. And this way things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. I feel led to stop here. This is not in my notes, but I want to say something. I despise televangelists that take money from people. They give preachers a bad name, a bad reputation. They give the church a black eye. They sit behind a camera and they speak right at people who are going through very difficult things and they say, you know what? You could be healed if you'd just give a faith promise or you'd write to us and, and give us a check, give us your money and, and we'll send you some oil and then you can put the oil on yourself and you'll be healed. And I absolutely despise that stuff. And so if you're watching that kind of stuff and you're being filled with this false rhetoric, this false teaching, get in the word and see what the scriptures have to say. That's why I said earlier it's important not to just take what I'm saying, but to actually search it out. And what's sad is, is people will sit on their couch and watch these guys, and they'll write check after check. I've even heard of cases where a pastor would say, if, you, if you're able, give us a gift on your credit card. And by faith, God will take care of that debt for you. And you just sit there. I don't have any hair really left to pull out. But like when that happens, you just want to be like, oh my goodness, where is the address of that studio? Because I kind of want to just drive there right now and interrupt this. Paul's saying, give in proportion to what you have. And I see these guys that are like, hey, take a huge step. Even go in debt to give to my ministry. I get really frustrated with stuff like that. And I want you to have your, your ears perking up when stuff like that starts to be said, okay? But again, go into the word to see what God is saying. Verse 16, but thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. We are also sending another brother with Titus, and all the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. And he was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem. Then he says, it's a service that glorifies the Lord and shows our eagerness to help. Here's a huge question that I'm going to ask twice today just to make sure we get it. This first time I'm going to ask, and then later in the message I'll ask it again. Who should our giving glorify? Any guesses out there? God! Bingo! Should never glorify you, should always glorify God. That's what giving, true giving should do, is bring God glory. I think it's interesting that in our culture, that while we are slipping and sliding down a, a spiritual, just, if you will, valley, we have our currency that says, in God we trust. 
And every time you give financially to someone or something or an organization or some kind of ministry, there is a trust component. And that's glorifying to God in and of itself. But then what God does with the ministry of your gift glorifies him. And that's the number one thing we need to understand is that giving should always glorify God. Now we roll into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, verse 1 says, he, again, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, I really don't need to write you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. I stopped right there when I was reading that, and I'm like, it almost sounds like Paul is manipulating, doesn't it? Like, hey, guys, you're excited. I'll come back in a year over to these people. They're so excited. You should be too. You guys show up big. I come back over here, and I'm like, they gave in a big way. You guys should too. And it seems to us in our mind like, oh, man, Paul, what are you doing But here's where I have to reconcile that, okay? Yes, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, but who is it inspired by? Another easy answer if any of you want to. Okay, it's inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's inerrant, it's infallible, and if the Holy Spirit wanted to say that through Paul, I think there's something that God's trying to say to us. Have you ever been stirred up by somebody's testimony, like it was an encouragement to you and it just caused faith to rise? You know what? I've been encouraged by that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Have you ever been encouraged to give because somebody gave to you? Okay, maybe you've seen it in a drive through when somebody pays it forward, right? I'll get the guy behind me and then the next and then eventually somebody's like, yeah, now nah, I'm good, you know, and then it breaks. But at some point... To recognize that as people give into your life, there's something that happens. There's a stirring that takes place, and it's this testimony of generosity, and Paul was giving that to the believers in Corinth and to the believers in Macedonia. A friend of mine spoke to me before Christmas, and he had such an awesome idea of what he did with his grandkids, and I think it stirred up this generosity, like you share your story, I'll share mine, and you just see God at work. And this is what he did. He said, I'm gonna give each of my grandkids 50 bucks before Christmas. And then when we have Christmas, we're all gonna get together, and here's what I wanna hear. What did you do with that $50? Because the whole purpose of you getting that $50 was to go and bless somebody. Bless somebody in need. And if you're the one in need, then feel free to use the $50, but use it for people who are in need. And I bet that was a rich time when they gathered around at Christmas and said, that was the gift I gave you. What'd you do with it? And as everybody's sharing, I'm guessing that it was a neat, neat time where you could hear about generosity. In verse 6, Paul lays out a biblical principle for us of the sowing and the reaping. So let's let's read verse 6. Paul says, remember this. 
A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. I preached on this not too long ago. If you remember the, the seed corn I had up here and I dumped it all into a container and you know, just recognizing that we're, we're hitting a passage that we hit earlier this year, but we're gonna look at it in a little bit different light. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I'm gonna just tell you right now, after this message, there will not be a free will offering taken. Okay? This is not a, I'm gonna just throw this on you. Guys, let's do it again. Come on down, let's just see. No. No. Allow God to take the scriptures and you sit on it and allow him to speak into your life how the Holy Spirit moves. We're not gonna put pressure in that regard. But the scripture does say that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful is the word from which we get the word hilarious, which is interesting because there's some kooky churches out there that say, I want you to laugh while we take up the offering. We're not that kind of church, okay? But it's interesting that we get that kind of word because it suggests that God loves a heart that's enthusiastically thrilled with the pleasure of giving. You're excited about it. I know that this can be a hard topic to preach to a church, but I'm excited about this series because I think it's so fun to give. And maybe you feel that way or maybe you don't, but I think this ought to be something we're doing day in and day out, and we're having a ball doing it. God loves it when we have fun giving. I think that's another way to translate that verse. He loves it when we have fun giving. In verse 8, and God will generously provide all that you need. There's a tension that can take place when we give, isn't there? If I give, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to, to make ends meet here? Okay? But this is where Paul's saying, here's the principle of sowing and reaping. New King James Version says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. There it is, right out of the scriptures. I want to be careful that this doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel, where it says if you have Christ in your life and everything's going to be hunky-dory now, you're never going to have a problem, you just give a bunch of money like those TV preachers and you'll be healed because you gave Okay, that is not the message here, but you cannot deny the scriptures that say as you give, God's going to keep providing for your needs. It's right in the scriptures. Verse 9, he quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. He says, they shared freely and they give generously to the poor and their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And I say again that giving will not promise you the perfect life. 
How many of you know that's true? Okay? It will not promise that you'll be struggle-free. Look at the Macedonians. They were going through quite a bit. Giving does come, though, with God's many blessings, and Scripture is clear about that. There's a reward for generosity. But generosity, true generosity, gives not to be rewarded. That's why I said earlier, I don't want this message to sound like we give to get. That is not the principle. But it is something that you need to be aware of, that when we have a culture that we're so selfish, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, that's not biblical generosity. There's a freedom in this kind of giving. God always rewards generosity when it's given in the right heart. God rewards extravagantly, and he wants to reward us when you and I fight through selfishness. One of the extravagant ways that God's rewarded us already is the gift of eternal life. That's pretty extravagant. That's huge, as he gave his son, Jesus. And we become more Christ-like when we're people of generosity and extravagant givers. God's grace may abound to you in material blessings, it may abound to you in spiritual blessings, but most importantly, it'll abound to you in eternal blessings, in eternal blessings. I'm going to have this verse on the screen. This is words of Jesus as he gave a parable to his disciples, and look what he says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. I'm going to stop right there before we go to the next part. Use your resources to benefit others and to make friends. And you're like, okay, Jesus, that's good. You know, how many of you know if you just gave stuff away, you could find a lot of friends pretty quick, okay? Use your resources to give to others and make friends. Now the, the next part of the verse. Then, when your possessions are gone, and you think, oh, so when I'm poor, they'll be able to come back and help me? No, when your possessions are gone, that means when you pass away. You no longer have your possessions when you pass away. You can't take it with you. Newsflash. Everything you're acquiring here on this earth can't go with you. You can bury it in the casket. It won't go with you. When your possessions are gone, when you pass away, the verse says they will welcome you to an eternal home. Like my possessions will welcome me when I... Go home. No, the friends that you've acquired. And I don't want us to miss this truth straight from the mouth of Jesus. What he's saying is that when we give in the kingdom, there's an eternal impact when we give. And sometimes we have no idea what those impacts might be, but we just we listen to the Holy Spirit and we give when he says it's time to give. And there's something that happens that when people come to know Christ through your gift, when you go to heaven, you're going to be welcomed by people that you've maybe never met in your entire life, but they are there because you gave. Isn't that awesome? Giving has way more significance than sometimes I think we think. 
but to recognize that there's eternal implications with a gift. There's eternal implications when we give. The sowing and the reaping. When we sow into the kingdom, guys, there's a reaping into the kingdom. And the reaping is people are getting saved. I don't think it's by coincidence that this week I was looking at, at something on my computer. We do keep track every week. We just do a head count how many people are at church. And we've been doing this for years. And when I became administrative pastor, I'm like, you know, it might be good to have this in an electronic file, just it's good to help with just knowing how things have gone historically and things like that. But as I was finishing up the entry for 2019, I just kind of sat there. I was like, holy buckets. This needs to be shared. Okay, so you're going to see a little graph on the screen, and it's the last five years of attendance, average attendance here at Faith. Okay, it's kind of small, the, the numbers there. I'll try to make sense of it, but we got 15, 2016, 17, 18, and then on the far right, it's 19. About 250 or so in 2015 on average attending faith services. Some weeks that's up, some weeks that's down, but that's the average. Okay, every year in the last five years, we've been growing as a church. Praise God for that growth. That's awesome. It's good to see that going up. That's awesome. Okay, I'm a numbers guy, so let's break this down a little bit further. And I don't want to get us too caught up in, like, numbers, but I do think it's important to stop the car and celebrate from time to time, okay? So I'm going to break this down by percentages each of those years. 1.1% 1 1 .1 growth from 2015 to 2016. We had a great year, 4.2% between 2016 and 17, then 2.5% two years ago, and then 1.4 in 2019. And my reaction at first is like, oh, you'd want it to keep you know, getting bigger and bigger, and we went, we went down. I'm like, you know, it, it has been a year of transition, so maybe that's what's, you know, just the growth is a little bit slower or less. But then let's talk about transition for a second. LifeGate started going every Sunday in January of 2019. What that meant, and I sat down and I started coming up with names of people who were consistently coming here to faith, but as soon as LifeGate went to Sunday, they were no longer in our congregation. I mean, it's upwards to like 25, 26 people that were no longer worshiping here. They were worshiping somewhere else. So what that did instantly in January of 2019 we went back five years to around the 250 mark, and by the end of 2019, we're up higher than we've been in the last 10 years. And this year, it's actually 10% that God has grown this church. Can we just praise God for growth? That's awesome to think, a piece of us left this congregation to go and do ministry, and that church, by the way, running that 80 to 90 range, it's not just the 25 that left this church to go be a part of that congregation. But I do know, too, that this congregation has been very generous in blessing that congregation financially. And so as we've sown into that ministry, I just want you to see this principle at play. Guys, 
we have reaped a huge blessing here. One of the biggest years of growth in a decade. Praise God. And God wants to do those types of things in our life. It's not about growing your pocketbook, your material possessions. It's about seeing lost people come to know Christ. And you can participate in that. That's the heart of generosity, is to see people come to know the Lord. A.W. Tozer says, As base a thing as money often is, yet it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Your giving has eternal implications. And I want to tell you something also. Satan hates generosity. He absolutely hates generosity. One of the primary reasons is because it wins people to the Lord. It's a territorial thing for him. He's trying to rip everybody he can down straight to hell. And giving is one of those things that just, you know what, not today. People come to know Christ because of generosity. He also hates it, like I said, because the kingdom's growing. More people are coming to know the Lord. But he hates it too because it works pride and it works selfishness out of our life when we're generous. And he wants you to be selfish. He wants pride to just be just moving in your life. Satan hates generosity. Don't ever forget that. Verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So one of the things, as you sow and then reap in God's grace, here's the reason why. So that you can be generous again. It's this just constant, constant thing that God does. And he says, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. I'm going to ask the question again, who should giving glorify? God. He says it again in chapter 9. As a result of your ministry, these believers back in Jerusalem will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Again, it goes back to God. It's a grace that he does in our life. You're only generous because he's generous. You're only generous because he's generous. And then he says, thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Earlier I said step one is, is your heart in the right place? And I want to 
be very clear. One of the most God-glorifying things that could happen in this series about generosity is people come to know Christ during this series. Not that giving goes up. That'd be great that more giving's happening in the kingdom. Notice I didn't necessarily say more giving's happening here at Faith. More giving's happening in the kingdom as you give to ministries that, that you know are preaching the gospel and winning people to the Lord. When you give to your neighbors or those in your community that are in need, when you give to things that come about here at the church maybe, all of those things are a part of the kingdom. But as we do that, as we do that, that's awesome. But one of the most important things that could happen is that people are coming to know Christ. Because that is the heart of generosity. Will you bow your heads with me as we close this message in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for how generous you are. That as we Sinners, people who are selfish, prideful, arrogant, set in our own ways, in the midst of that, you gave your son Jesus. It's a gift that all of us must make a decision about in our life. And it has eternal implications. And perhaps there's someone listening today that you know you need to have a new heart. One that's changed by God. But in order to receive that, you must come to him in your sin and ask for repentance saying, God, please forgive me and receive him into your life. And if there's someone listening that wants to make that decision today, just pray with me in your heart, but mean it with all your heart. Say, Jesus, today I come to you broken and needing you to come into my life and I ask for forgiveness of my sin that you'd help me turn away from sin and walk in a new direction help me to live for you and this heart that you've given me as I've reached out in faith I pray that this new heart would live in obedience to your desires. Help me to live for you. And Father, I just, in this moment, I ask that you would stir in our hearts the grace of generosity. For those that just prayed to receive Christ in their life, I pray that you would you would use them to be generous to people around them, 
so that they might also come to know Christ. And I ask that for, for us, whether we've been living for Christ for five minutes or for 50 years, help us to never lose your heartbeat of generosity and to know that there's eternal implication. And we thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.